Welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal. It's our 15th season showcasing stories from outstanding business people presented by BDO Canada. My name is Dan Delmar along with Mike Newton of BDO. Mike, finally, nice to see you again. Great to be back together again, Dan. And this week on the show, we're going to talk a lot about our, our core issues, uh, leadership. Um, we'll talk a bit about hybrid workplace, and that's a big feature on the program today, hybrid environment, but for learning, edtech is, uh, is the subject today on the program. And Sarah Sadecki will join us from Timeo. Uh, they do education technology and classroom management. So um, institutions like colleges and schools uh, have this integration to make the Microsoft Teams environment a lot more pleasant and a lot more productive on their students. So Sarah uh, talks about that today. Yeah, it should be very interesting. Again, uh, another young Montreal op- entrepreneur. Uh, it's, uh, it's great to uh, great to have her here. And I think uh, it's it's a it's a very interesting uh, platform. I mean, you you look at I think EdTech is still kind of evolving in most of our minds at this point. Uh, we still see it as a very old institutional uh, type environment. So it's it's great to see the uh, the the tech and 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 the various platforms finally coming together. We'll also talk a bit about leadership and managing leadership with Juliana Papandrea, Senior Manager of Business Services at BDO Canada, uh, later in the program. But first, let's get to our news and notes. And we do want to start a, a bit on a serious uh, note to start again this week, Mike. Uh, last week on the program with Eros, I was mentioning um, my my advice for business owners uh, in terms of their business communications. If entrepreneurs or even managers, executives or employees, if they if they really feel the need to speak out about um, the Israel-Palestine conflict, the Ukraine-Russia conflict, or any around the world, um, doing so in a in a calm, civilized, and productive manner is super important. So my my number one rule for broadcasting political opinions is no stereotyping, which is based on um, on the Canadian Charter. And um, I, I wrote that blog on, on our website, uh, tnkr.ca. You can check that out. But you sent me this article, Mike, and another pretty important point um, in terms of what to do action-wise. This is from uh, Inc.com. And another PR executive here uh, named Tony D'Angelo weighs in, and he says, well, make it make it something that, that has an impact, but that also doesn't offend either side, right? So th- they suggest efforts to support employees that can make more of an impact than pledges of solidarity on LinkedIn, for instance. So donations to uh, humanitarian relief efforts can show a commitment to peace and human welfare. Um, Interesting perspective, and I agree with it. I, I agree with the productivity aspect of it. But Mike, in this uh, polarized age, even that, even advocating for peace and um, and humanitarian aid, might actually get you some some flack online. So leaders not only have to be able to put out the civilized messages, they have to recognize uh, and receive the flack and ignore it sometimes when when it's unreasonable. If you're putting out a message that's generally tolerant. Yeah, it, look, there, there's no right way to, to address this. You're always, uh, unfortunately, in today's world, I think you're always going to offend somebody based on the message. Um, I think the important element here from a business angle, and again, we're looking at this from a business, is are you taking a political stance or are you looking at doing this from a business uh, perspective? And are you looking to, uh, you know, what is the problem you're ultimately trying to solve by issuing a statement? Uh, is this an internal message to your employees, to the team for support? Uh, is this a public message to uh, to advise everybody, uh, you know, s- somewhere in terms of where you stand, uh, not on the issue, 
issue, but on uh, how to address the humanity side of things. And, you know, it's very interesting because uh, for the last two weeks, I have done an awful lot of reading and an awful lot of uh, trying to understand what is the right way to send the message. Uh, you know, people have uh, come across on the humanitarian angle only and have been uh, flogged for not denouncing terrorism uh, because it wasn't specifically stated in the statement. Um, what we're starting to see is are, are a lot of messages that are denouncing terrorism, supporting humanity in general, and then supporting the employees. And here's how we're going to help our employees, whether it is going to be uh, through messages, whether it's going to be through uh, open forum uh, and, and everything else. And, and I think you 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 really cannot use and, and this is a business owner perspective is you, you should not necessarily be using it as a um, as you mentioned, a stereotypical approach to, to dealing with things. We have to recognize that, you know, in, in a recent U.S. study, uh, over 60, close to 65 percent, uh, people still trust business owners and what they say and what they're proposing, about 15 points more than what they trust comes out of the government's uh, perspective. And, and I think there's a responsibility associated with all of that. The other thing to to keep in mind for leaders is you don't actually have to opine. You You can uh, help. You can provide services. You can check up on your employees if they're affected. You can you can uh, exude empathy, and you can do all of that without providing your opinion. That that's you know you don't have to post that thing. You know no one's forcing you to. Yeah, the the opinion pieces I really don't think have a have a place. Uh, I think it needs to be factually based. I think it needs to be a support scenario. I, I think the only one that's probably uh, you know been relatively safe through all of this is denouncing terrorism itself. Uh, everything else is is going to come across as opinion, no matter how hard or how strong or how right it may be. It's still going to come across as an opinion. One last point on this that I think is is super important in terms of activist capital. Um, those who engage in it have to understand that when you do it, you're going to be expected by your, your audience to do it again and again. So why weigh in on conflict A if you're not weighing in on conflict B, right? So be prepared to be consistent in your messaging and to repeat it in other contexts as well, because you can't just kind of waltz in uh, and waltz out uh, in terms of your, your social implication. It's a, it's a major decision that a company has to make and it affects operations. 100%. I mean, the reality of the moment you only uh, opine on one subject, what have you become? Now it's an opinion. No matter how you don't want it to be an opinion, it now becomes an opinion. So the reality is, is if you're going to step out there and you're going to provide an information on any topic, whether it's this uh, subject, this delicate subject, whether it's on leadership, whether I mean, to just jump out there and, uh, you know, uh, make a statement and then jump back and, and, and never go there again is almost flavor of the week mentality. And it's a very dangerous place to be. I want to briefly ask you about the hybrid workplace scenario, Mike, and, and where where offices are at around Montreal, around Canada. Um, it's our ongoing uh, issue. Uh, you're more in office. I'm more hybrid. Um, how's been how has the adjustment been over the last few months uh, since we last spoke about this? Are we leaning more? I guess we're, we're, we're leaning more back to, to being in office now. Uh, I'm not sure there's been any mu there's been much movement in the way of adjustment at this point. I think philosophically the points have started to change. Uh, I'm not necessarily seeing the the numbers supporting that. Uh, a lot of people are very reticent to take a hardline stance on I need you in the office three days, two days, one day, whatever it is. Um, and 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 partially because in certain industries, and ours is a perfect example, the moment you take a position, one of your competitors is going to say, well, we're not going to make you do that since we're all fighting for talent and we're still playing that talent war game. 
uh, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, anything that I'm going to go out and say, or, or one of our leaders is going to go out and say, you know, we want you back here three days a week. Uh, somebody else is going to say, hey, we'll let you work from home five days a week. And all of a sudden, they now have a competitive advantage in the advertising. So it's still, you know, we're seeing it. Um, I think we'll continue to see more of a position from the the larger institutional uh, environments. But anybody who's still uh, who's still playing in uh, kind of that public space and fighting for staff, which I think most people are these days still, uh, it's it, it's still uh, it's still a bit of a quagmire. Still a lot of staffing challenges uh, that I'm hearing from my clients and a lot of shifts one way and the other. And some, according to HBR, Harvard Business Review, uh, interesting piece, uh, are switching jobs and then this is going back to their jobs uh, because they missed the old one. What's the etiquette there? I mean, can, can you go back to your old job? How do you broach the subject? So they, they, I love this article. I love this article because of the boomerang effect uh, of, you know, leaving and going back. And, and you know, a lot of times uh, years before COVID, you left uh, for an opportunity or you left for what was perceived greener grass. Uh, Post-COVID, people were leaving for... I guess the flavor of the week in many things and 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 how that was affecting them. Um, can you go back? Of course you can always go back. Uh, but I'm going to, my first question is going to be, how did you leave? Right. I mean, if you left on good terms, if you've left in a professional environment, if you gave your employer proper notice and you did everything, then in most cases, if you were a good employee, then you, well, the door is still going to be open. If you slammed it shut when you walked out, I got a better opportunity and this is what they're paying me and I don't need you anymore. I'm just going to remind you not to bother to reapply. So I, I think it really is a professionalism component here. Um, you know, when you're going to go back, I mean, if you're deciding to go back, why did you leave in the first place? So it's, it's you know, it's it's a lot of those, you know, what ifs and whys did you leave in the first place? And how did you leave in the first place? And how did you leave people behind uh, when you go there? I mean, if you left, what was your reason? And, and, and if it becomes, let's say it was a personal reason. I don't want to work the hours. You're going to make me work from the office. Uh, I want to work remotely. All of a sudden, I move somewhere else. There's nothing wrong with putting your tail between your legs and saying, you know what? Maybe I left for the wrong reason and going back to an employer based on that. The one thing you've got to recognize, though, is the moment you come back, um, there is in the back of a few people's minds the possibility that you are going to leave again. And you need to rebuild that trust and you need to rebuild that environment that allows people to think that you're not just going to go either hot-headed one day and quit or, or, or move away from things. So I think there's a... there. there as much as the employer has to want you back, I think you need to want to go back. And I think you need to look in the mirror and assess, why did I leave? Uh, and and why do I want to go back? Am I going back for the right reasons? Real quick story here at the end. Uh, the founder and CEO of Thrive, Ariana Huffington, formerly of the Huffington Post, uh, her newest uh, campaign now is to squelch the worldwide burnout epidemic starting with the way that we work. Um, one thing that I found interesting about this story, I think she's suggesting something that I, I really am into, uh, which is scheduling downtime and, and your your rest time within the workday. Yeah, it's, you know, it, 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 it's, yeah, I, as you can see, I'm stumbling on that one because it's something I'm not so good at doing at the end of the day. But uh, I think you need to find individually what works for you. I mean, a lot of places went to, uh, you know, the, having the nap room. That was people's uh, forced effort to to chill. I think you can reset your mind uh, in a brief moment. And I think it depends on you need to know what works for you. And you need to find that if sitting down and, and, and doing a crossword puzzle for the New York Times crossword puzzle for 10 minutes happens to give you that decompression and gives you another three or four hours of energy, then there's nothing wrong with doing that. 
you know, the two hour nap at your desk may be a little more problematic. But I, I do agree that the the downtime and you need to understand what works for you and uh, you're going to need to try a number of things in order for uh, to see this, how that implication uh, works as, as the day progresses. Mike, please go up the street at one of our local bistros uh, sometime next week and have a, a long lunch. You deserve it. Uh, that one I don't necessarily have a problem with. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's uh, f- food. Food is a uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you can do it, Mike. Ninety minutes. Uh, I think. I think. Uh, I think uh, you can do it. Yeah, I know. The problem is, is most of the time when I do it, it's business related. So I'm going with, uh, you know, either a, a business development mind to just go and sit and have lunch for 90 minutes. Yeah, I haven't figured that one out yet. And and I got to tell you, at 56 years old, there's not that much time left to figure that one out. <laughs> All right, we'll work on it. There's there's still hope. Uh, yes, that's what gets me up every morning. Mike, let's get right to our guest, shall we? Her name is Sarah Siddiqui. She's the co-founder of the ed tech company, Timeo. Sarah, welcome to CJAD. Thank you for inviting me. So first question is the easiest. What is Timeo? Well, Timeo is a connected learning environment that simplified the digital experience for students and teachers in colleges and universities across North America. Maybe just take a take a step here. Ed tech, which uh, maybe for some of our uh, audience is ne- not necessarily clear. What exactly is ed tech and what, what market are you serving? So EdTech is basically technology uh, that helps like school organization. It can be like college, uh, it can be like uh, high school, etc. We focus mainly in universities and colleges. So it's really technology that helps education. That's a pretty broad statement. Why don't you drill that down a little bit and give us a little bit of an idea of what type of uh, software cap- capabilities that uh, that Tomeo has? Perfect. So basically, we started with a problem that we started seeing in colleges, universities, and school in general. We saw that a lot of technology emerged, but then it was always the student and the teacher that has to adapt to technology. So there were such complexity that we're like profoundly believing that teachers and students, they shouldn't adapt to technology. Technology should adapt to them to really serve them. So when we saw that, we saw that, for example, school organization, they had multiple tools, like they had, for example, a collaboration tools and LMS and all those different tools. But all those tools, because they were not firstly connected together, they were not speaking together, they were not like making sense altogether. Well, they started confusing teachers and students and that's the first thing that we realized. And they started doing things on Dublon. I don't know how we say it in English, but doing this in this platform, doing this in this platform. So we really simplified the digital environment. And after that, we started uh, adding feature to really make the digital experience simple and easy, what we really believe it should be. So I know it can be a little bit of a broad definition about what we do, but we connect software together and then we simplify the interfaces and simplify what the student and the teacher do on a daily basis. So if I'm looking at this as a relative uh, novice, I'm going to say that your software kind of sits like an umbrella and all of the various pieces or or a spoken hub type mentality, right, where all the pieces go through that now allow them to all talk to each other so that no matter, you know, where you are in the platform or what platform you're you're using, you're not doubling up on the work. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the mission that we have. Basically, now, as for now, we're using Microsoft Teams. So what we, we're doing is we're connecting 
So we're an umbrella and we're bringing everything into Microsoft Teams. So when you open Microsoft Teams, you have access to like a lot of apps that apps and website and software only by opening Microsoft Teams and you can see like everything and personalize to to the user if you're a student or a teacher. This is the first part of what we do. And then the other part is uh, we're gonna simplify, for example, class management. We're gonna simplify your digital agenda. We're gonna simplify other aspects and because we're having this umbrella. Sarah Siddiqui joins us from Team Mayo. I have a features question because I, I'm looking at some of your features here on the website, and it seems like you're, uh, you're you're digitalizing some of those classic classroom problems, including attendance management, which I think is interesting. Um, are you solving some of those issues that used to be, uh, I guess, a pain for teachers? Yes, exactly. So, for example, you have to know that um, Microsoft Teams is free for education. So basically, Microsoft offers license to all schools around the world for free. So schools started using Teams, and but then for the attendance, they had to take the attendance and get in the other software, put the attendance there, et cetera, et cetera. Now we do it like automatically. So basically, we will take the attendance automatically and we'll send it to their SIS, et cetera. So the teacher can focus on what really matters, teaching, and not doing like all the admin stuff that most of the time is not so inspiring for them. So how do you bring together platforms that may not be Microsoft friendly? I'm sure there's a lot of schools that uh, have not, you know, completely converted over to a Microsoft platform. How much of the work is done by uh, you? How much of the work is done by them? And maybe give us just a bit of an idea of how that integration works and, and how you work with the schools. So basically, it takes approximately a week or two to implement TMAO for a school organization that uses Microsoft Teams. For now, we are mainly focused on school organization that uses Microsoft Teams or that want to use it. Uh, so that's what we're focusing on. And we have a big pool of organization that, that does. This is our main focus. But then we will be uh, drifting and opening new integration for, for example, Google or other tools. But this is the main tool that we're integrating as for now. I don't want to be a numbers geek, but uh, sales have climbed dramatically, I guess, for you in the last little while. Um, you, you you finally broken into the U.S., I guess, with uh, with some impact. How is how is that changing uh, the way the organization is structured, and how is it changing how you're going to market at this point? So Canada and the U.S. have similarities, but they do have a lot of things that is not actually uh, different. So the similarities, I would say, what I what I like about the U.S. is the way we can conduct business. So people in the U.S. are most of the time very open-minded to innovation. So it's pretty easy to do business with them. What's a little bit more hard is in Canada, for example, people knew us before we started Timeo because we were working in school organization and helping them do some things. And when you arrive in the U.S., you're like, and no one kind of thing. So you really, really, really have to prove yourself 10 times more. But uh, once you do, then they, when they start adopting and they like what they see, they're really easy to recommend to other colleges or universities. So that's a little bit about what I feel is different. In terms of structure of the team, the team is the same. We're very lucky, extremely lucky here in Quebec because we speak French, but we also speak, a lot of us speak English. So 
this was not an issue. Maybe it would have been an issue if we would have gone to Brazil and then we would have had to hire like people speaking Portuguese or, but uh, yeah, as for the structure of the team, we're, we're the same. So let's take a little walk down memory lane. I mean, you, you started this how long ago? And I mean, other than you saw this vision, there's had to have been something. Was it personal frustration? Was it uh, commentary from, you know, people you were going to school with? What what, what drove and got this started for you? So uh, before Timio, we were a consulting firm. We were specializing in Microsoft products. So this is uh, not something absolutely new in that uh, specialty. So we were, we were doing consulting and we were doing it for like banks or uh, other organic big corporation or medium corporation. But then we had uh, the, the opportunity to help the colleges. And when we had the, this opportunity, I think all our team felt compelled. We kind of all liked the fact that we're going to help a college, we're going to help students, we're going to have an impact. So that's why uh, we started doing the, the consulting for the colleges. And this is where we found that, hey, we could do better. We could give a better experience for students and we have, and for teachers, and we have the innovation uh, uh, DNA to do it. So that's how it started. So it didn't, it didn't come from your frustrations in school and saying, oh, I got to solve a problem. It, it came from what they it, it the, did. It, it, it did. did. Okay. It did. Everybody okay. felt compelled because they all felt that they could be in that chair. And they were like, yeah, we okay. could do something different for sure. Really taking classrooms digitally uh, to the next level, Sarah. And of course, uh, this uh, trend uh, became very popular during the pandemic when we when we had to use these kinds of products. Looking forward in the future, what does the classroom of the future look like? Is it going to be always in person? Is it a hybrid environment? Um, what's what's your bet? I truly believe in an hybrid environment, and it's not because we now have digital classroom that it means we're all going to be remote and with or VR or something like that and disconnected from the world we're still human and we need that human touch however sometimes uh, in university or colleges and I'm talking more about higher ed so let's not talk about high school and I think this is a different aspect so there were a lot of inefficiency what I mean by that is, for example, some people were going to university, but they needed to work at the same time. So having to do one hour to go to, for example, the university and come back and to do that every day was not necessarily the best approach for them to learn. And a lot of university, even before the pandemic, were already understanding that. I'm thinking about Laval University, who was offering remote classes and hybrid classes and et cetera. So it's not something that happened with the pandemic. It's something that we felt they were in need way before the pandemic. The problem was the tool were not totally adapted for this reality. So the hybrid class is not something that it's new. It's just that now we want better tool to address this need. So it brings up a really interesting question in terms of the experience at school, right? I mean, it, part of uh, part of growing up is is spending time in school, whether it's university, whether it's college, you know, whatever that scenario is, and the remote component to it, and and those people that graduated or spent a chunk of their university in in the COVID environment uh, feel like they were cheated out of the university experience. Um, you know, it, it, is there a push anywhere in this exercise? Because they're almost counterintuitive to have the technology being so advanced and so good and so useful um, almost deters people from 
from going to class almost deters people from being on site. How do you find a way to to continue to have those work together? Because I agree with you. I think it will be hybrid, but hybrid represents a really broad spectrum. How do we find this and where's the responsibility lie in terms of making this a a, a proper way to proceed in, in high level education? Um, so first of all, it's not because your class can be hybrid that every student were choosing the remote option. So I'm thinking about, again, Laval University, where we had like hybrid classes. You could stay in coming class or stay online. And a lot of people were showing up in class because they felt it was a better way for them to learn. And other were like, hey, for me, it's it doesn't allow me to learn because, for example, I have transportation and I have kids and et cetera. So now we're bringing two type of people that have different needs. Some people, they do want to see a teacher in front of them. They do want to have their this interaction, for example, and other people have other realities. Now we're bringing them together and be like, hey, we can, we can answer to those two realities. So it's very important. And you will see in the studies and you will see in the future that a lot of people will still choose to come in class. It also, it also helps uh, students that cannot go to class to also uh, have access to education. Yeah, I think it's a continuity of, of accessibility to people, right? At the end of the day, it's, you know, we, we, we've we looked at the, uh, some of it as a physical accessibility, some of it as a lifestyle accessibility, some of it is, you know, just uh, uh, proximity uh, accessibility. So I think there's good. I, I think the key to all of this, and sorry, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, lies in the melding of the uh, education and the students finding what is a a good experience. It seems like you know COVID because we were forced to to shut down and 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 go online. Everybody jumped on this as the new band wave of the future. Like this is bandwagon of the future. This is where we're going. Like everything else, over a period of time, it seems to stretch itself out and find the natural balance. And I think that's where we're going. And I think exactly. that's where when I look at technologies like you're bringing to the table here, is a huge opportunity for us to to continue to find that balancing act when it comes to to a education. I mean, I guess it took uh, it took a little bit of time to get this uh, the 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 technology up and running. Um, you know, where did you start from? I mean, you said you had a consulting business going. Did you use did you work from the base that you already had? Uh, and how much time did it take you from the time you guys decided to to move in this direction to to actually be implementable? It's a good question. So, for, first of all, um, Timeo is not only a platform that helps uh, having better hybrid classes or online classes. What we want to do is simplify the digital classroom, simplify the digital experience. And we don't want to only simplify the hybrid classes. So what we want to do is for students to focus on what really matters to learning and teacher to focus on what really matters, teaching without the complexity and the chaos of all this rising technology. That's really what we're doing. And this, yes, happens in the classroom with the virtual class, how can we simplify that? But we also simplify the digital agenda who has nothing to do with, for example, the digital, the, the hybrid classes, for example, we, we simplify the attendance. So what we want is to remove the burden of this rising technology uh, and the complexity of it. So it's simpler for everyone and people can enjoy their education journey. Sarah Siddiqui joins us from Timeo. And Sarah, what I do most of the time during the day is, is content strategy. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are from that perspective. How do you get engagement? You know, we talk about engagement on social media in kind of, you know, sketchy ways. But with your product, you want that engagement. You want people to absorb your content. 
How do you know that, uh, do, do you have mechanisms to, to evaluate if the students are doing better perhaps on your platform than they would in person? And how do you screen out cheating? So uh, basically for that question, we decided to, to bring a human touch to it. So we went to colleges and we asked them like, how is it going? Do you like it? What could we do different? And then they kind of helped us craft uh, the product and we're like this button, we would love to have it more up and right and the color is not uh, bright enough. So we had a lot of uh, feedback from the student. We had a lot of feedback for the from the teacher. And that's one of our favorite parts. So for that part. Uh, for the content strategy, um, so we really want to have an impact. So the first kind of content that we do is a content that can help and be relevant. So this is, we love what we do and we love to have to help students and teachers. So we really, really focus on, on bringing relevant content for them. So to do thorough uh, research to really bring them new what's happening, where it's going, et cetera. And they kind of look like they enjoy it. And what about cheating? How do you how do you make sure that no one uh, is maybe using an AI or a bot to uh, to game the system? It's uh, we're now we're having a project now. It's not unveiled, so uh, but uh, we're looking into that to see how we can how we can help. But yes, this is going to be a new reality. Sarah Sadecki, co-founder of Timeo Education and Classroom Management. Very interesting. Sarah, thank you so much. And you're going to stick around. We need your one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs in a moment. But first, let's check in with our BDO specialist, Juliana Papadrea, Senior Manager of Business Services at BDO Canada. And she's here to talk about leadership and teamwork and how to avoid some pitfalls there. Juliana, welcome back. Thanks. It's great to be back in the studio again. So we're gonna we're gonna go today, Juliana. On uh, I'm gonna say you're you know you're a you're a woman after my heart. And normally people say that following uh, <laughs> food or entertainment or sports. Uh, you're gonna talking talking about leadership, which uh, you know is is one of my favorite topics. Dan and I have uh, have discussed this in many many occasions. Um, but I think you're gonna kind of drill it down a little bit to uh, to teams and 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 how a little more specific advice other than that very kind of high level discussion. So. What are some of the skills that you recommend uh, a new leader uh, uh, adopts uh, when 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 they become? I mean, we we all know that a, a really good uh, leader makes a huge difference, as well as a really bad leader can make a huge difference. What are some of those skills that you you see, and what are what are some that you're seeing seeing missing? So I narrowed it down to about five skills. And, you know, everyone's always talking about how difficult it is to find talent, but what's even more important is retaining your current talent. So um, I think um, number one is be clear about your expectations and communicate. So, uh, you know, you have to make sure all your tasks are well-defined and the priorities are set and it helps everyone stay organized. Setting uh, regular check-ins with your staff members, making sure deadlines are reasonable and uh, as opposed to the workload that they have already. And uh, you have to be ready for changes. And, you know, the, the staff members have to be uh, aware of these changes and, and the expectations you have. Things can, can change pretty quickly. We see it at, uh, you know, at our offices at BSO, the environment's constantly changing. Files are getting migrated to different soft online softwares, you know, for efficiency. And so employees really need to be put up to date with all of these types of changes. Secondly, I think, you know, don't be afraid to ask for input. Uh, as a leader, sometimes you're always expected to be giving input. 
but sometimes you have to ask for input from your staff members. And um, it's really it's really important to uh, make everyone part of the solution. So um, everyone's input makes them feel valued and uh, it shows that you're open-minded and you're open to suggestions. And basically everyone has a common goal and it's to be more efficient. So why not uh, take the advice of uh, other members when it comes to that? And you can share in the decision-making responsibility as well. Juliana, from a granular level, I mean, obviously COVID and remote work has has kind of thrown a bit of a wrench in the way we used to do some of this, right? I mean, those leadership, those first two skills that you're talking about were very, you know, asking for communication, being there, looking for open things were so much easier when we're face-to-face. Do you find it now it's become more challenging and are people starting to learn how to do this a little bit better now that we're, you know, so far into uh, the post-COVID era? Well, the way we communicate has definitely changed. You know, um, we were able to just go to our neighbor at the next desk and and discuss and talk and ask questions. Now, you know, we have to check the person's calendar. Are they online? Do they have time to talk? Are they do they have meetings? So, it definitely has changed. But we really have to do our best to uh, make that extra effort now to communicate, reach out to people, make sure, you know, they're informed and they have all the information they need. What should we be avoiding? I mean, obviously there's a number of things in here that uh, from a leadership perspective uh, need to be avoided. Some are different face-to-face than they would be on a remote basis. So I think the most important is know when to talk and when to listen. You know, when people are talking to my wife again, (laughs) Oh my goodness, Mike. But it's such a common issue because as leaders, we sometimes have the tendency to, you know, uh, kind of interrupt the conversation and give our input and, and our solution. But the best way is really to just understand when it's time to listen, let the person vent, let them discuss their issues at hand, and then help them find the solution rather than giving them the solution or giving them an order. So it's really a different type of, uh, of approach. So this sounds and like a, co- this sounds like a coaching session. I recently exactly, attended. Doesn't and, it? I, and, and I got to tell you, I learned one thing, you know what that was? I'm not making it as a coach. <laughs> oh, wow. That's funny. Uh, but another, another mistake that uh, leaders make is they react urgently. They feel the impulse to react right away. And it's human nature. You know, you want to get to the problem. You want to try to solve it right away. But sometimes doing that doesn't necessarily, you don't necessarily, uh, you haven't had the time to really reflect on what you should be, what the best solution would be. So it's always best to take some time and reflect and not rush into the reaction. Juliana Papandrea, thanks so much. And we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. And as we come to the end of our show, let's ask our entrepreneur, Sarah Sadeki, co-founder of Timeo, for her one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs. Sarah. Well, so first of all, I'd say in Quebec and in Canada, I think we're one of the most, I think we're one of the most luckiest entrepreneurs in the world as there's a lot of resource. You can Google it, you can ask around it, you can go to Santec or Lecan or Accelerators and you'll see there's so much resources that if you have the entrepreneur DNA, I believe don't hesitate and go knock on door and ask for help and people will help you with a big, big smile. So that's my first piece of advice. And the second is simply that if you don't know something, 
there's someone who knows it. So don't take uh, two years or three years to figure out your marketing. Go ask for a consultant in marketing. If you don't have the money to go for a consultant in marketing, go for a friend that you know that is good in marketing, but don't try to learn it all by yourself. Really leverage people that you know, leverage uh, your your friend, leverage uh, the accelerators. So, uh, and that is, I think, one of the most precious piece of advice that I follow. Super. Sarah Siddiqui, co-founder of Timeo. Thanks so much, Sarah. And we appreciate uh, your, your perspective, Mike. Again, a great sign that uh, Montreal is not only an AI tech capital, but edtech specifically, not not our first edtech business on the show. No, definitely not. And it's it, it's great to see. And, you know, we, we know when it comes to a lot of the ed tech and or a lot of the technology, it's uh, it's a much younger uh, entrepreneur. And it's it's great to see that the future of uh, of Montreal and, and Quebec and Canada continues to uh, to shine with uh, with great new ideas. So it's always uh, it's always great to have guests like this and and, and push forward uh, in, in in a market that uh, I think is still really starting to evolve. I don't think ed tech uh, for most of us is, is something that really uh, we're used to yet i think we still see higher level education in, in an old school world so th th this continues to help and en plus sarah you left the uh, eric santigur on the on the american website as well so as quebecois we, we appreciate that to representing thank you so much thank you for inviting me next week on inspiring entrepreneurs by bdo canada we'll speak with very excited for this fred morin chef co-owner co-founder of the joe beef groups uh, comprised of several iconic montreal restaurants including uh, vin papillon one of my favorites and vin mon lapin which tops the prestigious uh, Canada's 100 Best Restaurants list for 2023. Very much looking forward to that. A reminder, you can subscribe to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal as a podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, or your favorite platform, or log on to the website, inspiringentrepreneursmtl.com, for hundreds of local entrepreneur profiles since 2009. Thanks, Mike. See you next week. Thanks, Dan. Talk.